Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. If you cultivate that relationship with them over time, see them multiple times, send them updates, be helpful to them, make introductions to them where you can, then that relationship starts to form and you have a much higher chance of actually receiving investment from them. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest. I've known him for a while. Coming at us from Santa Monica. Hello, Will. Hi. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Will, you're amazing. There's so much I like about you. Let's get the audience to know what I know. To kick things off, go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So my name is Will Stringer. And I about three years ago, I founded a company called Chisos. And it has since become Chiso's Capital. And we provide capital to athletes, entrepreneurs, and creatives for startup capital and, and for brand building capital. And what inspired you to create Chiso's? So like any good entrepreneur, it was a problem that I faced myself. When I went to start my company, Chiso's, after kind of working at a fintech, that fintech imploded, found myself unemployed, decided to start a company. I went to start that company and raise a little bit of early capital to get it started. I'm originally from Texas. I worked at a family office, have been in the finance space for a while. But a lot of the people I knew were more conservative investors. They were real estate, oil and gas investors, yeah. you know, et cetera. They weren't the angels you know, stroking checks for you know, ideas and pitch decks out here in California. So when I went to raise that first little bit of capital, Everyone said, you know, you're crazy. You don't have any revenue. Like, what is this? Yeah. And it was a disconnect for me after having lived out here in California for a bit and seen people just raise money on, you know, a napkin sketch. And so what I realized was, okay, there's a lot of talented people that can have some great success in their future and have proven that they can hold a job or have some kind of success in the past. You know, me is the example. I worked at a bank, then I worked for a family, and then I worked at a FedTech. And if I go and start this company, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to succeed most likely in some form or fashion. And so kind of fast forward, I decided to change the way that people could invest in me mm-hmm. versus a traditional angel check. Yeah. And that's what became our convertible income share agreement, which is a mix of kind of a debt-like instrument and equity and just a different way to invest really in a person as a a whole entity versus their one single kind of risky idea. 
So that's that's let's, the long story. Let's deep dive into it for people that maybe have no idea. Maybe they're looking to fundraise now and they're trying to understand like where do you fit into their lives? Who is it that you work with and what does that look like. And just a really quick note, the reason why I, you know, like Will so much and you'll find this out is his integrity and ethics are impeccable. So if you want to work with someone who's a good, trustworthy person to work with, I just can't speak enough about his integrity and his character. And I think that's what's really scary in business is that a lot of people, um, I'm not going to name names whatsoever, but uh, a lot of well-known investors, unfortunately, will steal ideas to help their other portfolio companies, and it breaks my heart. And so to work with someone who has your back and will be loyal to you is a really big deal in our industry. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And that's absolutely one of our core values is the ethics, integrity, and fairness and transparency, because there is a lot, there are a lot of shenanigans that go on and mm. people have a really sharp elbows sometimes. And there's a lot of investors that are just purely, purely money motivated, Yeah, like you said. So um, I appreciate that. And, and that is important to us. Right now we invest in early stage technology founders out of our fund too. You're building a software business, tech enabled business or CPG business, consumer packaged good e-commerce business. And you're an early founder and you need early capital, either to kickstart your round or as a bridge or as your first kind of friends and family type capital. That's who we're investing in today. And then as we look towards the future, and we can get into this, athletes and creatives are another are other classes of individuals that we will provide capital to. And we view them on the same lens as you're trying to do something with huge upside, you know, reach the pros or create a, you know, 5 million subscriber YouTube channel, something with huge upside, but you need capital today to make that happen. Right. And so athletes using it to train, travel, and compete, athletes using it to kind of become creators and, and build their own brand. Those are the three classes that we're investing in. So entrepreneurs, athletes, and creatives. And is your fund the same as other typical venture capital funds where you have a bunch of different, let's say, independently wealthy people that invest their money and then you manage the portfolio of assets? Is that the That's same? exactly correct. Okay. Yep. Let's take the early entrepreneur because that's where we've made most of our investments. The early entrepreneur, they have an idea they start doing some research, they talk to a few customers, maybe they put a little bit of money from their bank account, thousand bucks to incorporate, get a, a URL, et cetera. They're gonna get to a point where they need a little bit more capital, uh, unless they maybe have a product that, you know, they just kind of sell, uh, sell a digital product and they didn't have to put any money into it. But typically you're gonna need some kind of early capital to get started and build your business. Where does that come from today? If you go to pitch a, a VC, they're going to say, okay, well, did you do your friends and family round? Mm -hmm. Okay, friends and family is where that early capital comes from. Friends and family looks very different for everybody. Some people have friends and family that can't afford to write a $100 check. Some people have friends and family and they're privileged enough that they can write a $50 check and, and not really feel it. So it's very, very different. And the fact that that's the differentiator for who can get started and who can't is one thing that I really hated 
because the people that maybe their friends and family can only write a hundred dollar check. Oftentimes they've already proven that they can overcome adversity. They can achieve things. They can, you know, hold a high paying job. They can just do stuff. And if they were just given the chance and a little bit of capital to get started, then they could have some kind of huge game changing outcome. Even if they didn't, then they're still going to succeed somehow, some way, because that's just kind of how they're wired. So when people come to us, it's typically I'm looking for capital and I don't have other great sources of capital that are available to me mm -hmm. because either I'm too early, I'm pre-traction, pre-revenue. Yeah. I am building a company that doesn't fit the VC model, which mm -hmm. by the way is most companies, uh, despite kind of what you hear out here in California. Yeah. Two, I need to extend my runway and you know, at $50,000 will actually give me three or four months right. and that will help me hit my metrics or, you know, reach profitability or yeah. something like that. So there's a few different use cases of our, of our capital, but it's typically just stacked up against, all right, you've got credit cards, you've got home loans, yeah. you've got friends and family loaning or investing your yeah. money. On the far end, you have VCs that'll write you equity checks. Yeah we're kind of in the middle where we're just providing another option for people to get the money they need mm -hmm. to put it into their business. What does that look like? Is it a, a convertible note? Pretend I know nothing. The people listening are like, I need to fundraise, but I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. And it seems like you're possibly a beginning point, but I still don't know what that means to me. Can you kind of make it really stupid simple for us? Custom built to solve this issue. And I'm not saying we have the only way that it can be done, but I think we have a pretty good way. We took an income share agreement, which mm -hmm. is an instrument that's been used in the education space for a while now, mm -hmm. middling success in the education space. But that instrument is basically saying that you get something of value, education, or in our case, money, and then you pay it back based on a fixed percentage of your earnings only when you're earning over a certain threshold. So let's take ours, for example. $40,000 investment, you sign an income share agreement with us, and then your company will sign a safe. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that in a second. But the income share agreement will say that you as the individual, when you earn income mm -hmm. over somewhere between forty dollars and $60,000 a year, then you pay back somewhere between 5 and 10% of your income mm -hmm. until you hit a time cap or an amount cap. Mm. Now the amount cap moves up and down. The max max is 2X. Often it's less than that. Yeah. The time cap is 10 years of payments. Often it's going to be somewhere closer to five. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of that quasi debt instrument. Right. Although it's way more flexible than debt. And if you're not making any money, which yeah. most entrepreneurs aren't in the beginning, you don't owe anything. Mm -hmm. So in theory- Let's say you don't pay yourself and for whatever reason you drop out of the workforce Yeah. Uh, for you know, 10, 15 years, you don't owe any money on that instrument. That's why it's flexible and that's why we created it and used it for the entrepreneur because entrepreneurs don't have high income usually yeah. in the beginning. Not, not to be – not to use banking terms. However, is it like a loan? It is like a loan. Okay. It is like it is like venture debt. Yeah. 
if if anyone's familiar with venture, I didn't decks. know if saying I, I hesitated because I didn't know if saying is it like alone would be like uh, like uh, insulting in some way, or so it's like the wrong word to use. Yeah, it's the easiest way to conceptualize it yeah. because you get something cash, and in most cases you have to pay something back. Right. So it is like a loan, but there are there's a lot of forgiveness to the loan. There's a lot of flexibility, and there's very distinct features that make it technically not a loan. But saying ISA is confusing. And so, yeah, a lot of times it's just like, look, it is like a loan. It's very flexible, but it helps people understand that. Is that accurate though? Do I have it right? Is it like a loan with a lot of space for forgiveness if your company doesn't work out? Or if it does work out. So in multiple scenarios, there's kind of forgiveness and different ways that the repayment fluctuates. Oh, because if you convert it into a different type of investment, then all of a sudden you don't have to pay it back like a loan because now it's converted into a new type of investment. Am am I hearing you right? Close, close. So the way we've structured it now, and again, it can change, but because we have equity in your business, which is really where the the true upside is, right? Like we want to invest in your business and we want to see your business succeed. We don't want to see your business fail. Right, of course. And so- we, I, we I wanna, don't want us to see our businesses fail either. <laughs> yeah, nobody does, right? It's the worst. It's tough, yeah. and making a business succeed is really, really hard. Really hard. Which is why you go to somebody and you have a napkin, and you're like, invest in my business. They're like, okay, that's a. I understand that's a very low probability chance of success. 100%. But the people that do end up giving you that money in that situation yeah. are giving it to you because they know you and like you. 100%. As a person. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Relationship to Yeah. Base. Which is why if you don't have those relationships 100%. that can write the checks, it's it's just really, really totally tough to get agree. started. Totally agree. You could be the smartest person ever. Yeah. Which is that's where we tried to shortcut it. We tried to say, how do we kind of shortcut that relationship capital and change the risk dynamics of the investment? Yeah. So where we can invest in somebody that we don't know. Yeah. Even though they're super early and they have a high probability of their business not working out. When does it transfer into a new type of investment where either even if you fail or if you succeed, both may be forgivable? Mm -hmm. So let's take the failure case. Uh, We invest in you day one. Day two, your business fails, goes away. Yeah. So the equity that we hold goes to zero. Income share agreement stays in place. And if you earn, let's say, $39,000 a year, which, you know, Pretty low. Most people we invest in are going to want to shoot higher, much higher than that. Um, Let's say you earn $39,000 a year for uh, 10 years, then it's done. The contract's done. You've paid back nothing, and we move on. Outside of your company. Correct. Like, you get a job at Amazon. That's still – it's still in your type of agreement – there's still a relationship between your firm and that person paying back – this loan, and if it's over thirty nine thousand a year, then someone is contributing back into the money, and that's where the loan part happens. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, and that's where the we're investing in people in the truest sense. Yeah. Is coming into play. Yeah. Because if you came to us, and you know our LPs, if they're looking at a deal, you come to us. I'd say eighty percent of the deals that we've funded were probably too early for just traditional equity capital. Right. Or they weren't venture backable. Right. And so they weren't going for the moon. And so that risk reward ratio was just out of whack. 
But if you add on the income share agreement yeah. and you're really investing in that person and that person's ability to succeed yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of the company, yeah. it becomes a no-brainer. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. And so that's how you get the capital in the door to get started. It also sounds like a, a more personable cash advance from a credit card. Like I funded the first stages of my sports company, I funded on credit card cash advances and then I raised yeah. money. Yeah. It sound it kind of sounds like a cash advance. I had to pay it back. Yeah. And it had interest and everything. Yeah. So in a way it's it is similar because you're getting the money today based on kind of what you can pay back in the yeah. future. Yeah. The main difference one is, you know, we want your company to succeed right. and so we're bringing those investor resources to right, you. Of course. Trying to help you raise the next round, right. helping you with fundraising and like figuring out how to actually build your company. Right. And so that's that's probably one of the biggest differences. And 100%. then the other one is and you know our salary floor has been $40,000 a year, but in the future we're thinking about bringing it up and making the our investment look much more like an equity investment in a person. Right. versus uh, kind of a, a quasi flexible loan. Right. So like one way I like to talk about it is you can lend money to a company. Yeah. You can invest in the equity of a company. With a person, you can lend money to a person. Yeah. But that equity piece of a person's career is not, it's not a thing. Right. And that's essentially what we're trying to create mm. is the equity investment in a person's career output, which is a different type of risk capital yeah. to help somebody build a career or build some kind of large endeavor and pursue their dreams ultimately. I've had a, a situation similar to that. So I have a lot of respect for that model. The person who invested in me really believed in me and uh, there was, I don't want to say much more because I, I want to keep it positive, but <laughs> they wanted to make sure that I had the resources that I needed to succeed. Um, and so they created like a, it was like a bridge loan, a convertible note and it was really great. And it was all based on their belief in my ability. And it was very generous of them. One of the things you do is you utilize what's been popularized by Y Combinator is the safe. So mm -hmm. tell us about doing the safe and when that happens. Uh, yeah. So when we make one investment of anywhere from twenty five dollars to $50,000, we really get two instruments in return. One is this income share agreement that is signed with the founder. The other is a safe which is with the company. It is slightly modified YC safe. We're targeting a percentage. And because it's combined with the income share agreement, we don't have a face amount. We have a percentage that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. But for all intents and purposes, it's a YC safe. Now, the unique feature with us is that, let's say we sign a safe and we're getting 3% of your company when that safe converts into equity. You can actually claw back up to two-thirds of that percentage, thereby reducing your own dilution. Mm -hmm. And we actually just had this happen. Um, they, The founder raised a new round. Mm -hmm. They, and The way this happens is you pay down the income share agreement. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a back and forth where you pay down the income share agreement and you're clawing back your own equity. Okay. So it's not just you're paying you know, for nothing. You actually claw back your equity and reduce your dilution. That also increases our kind of effective going in valuation uh, by three times. So we very purposely designed this 
from the point of view of both the investor and the founder. Right. So that it had features that were attractive to founders, but also attractive to investors so that that marketplace of capital could actually find a clearing price. And that's so far, that's what we've done. So now that we're a tech company or we're a creator business and we want to continue to raise, what does that look like working with Jesus Capital? Same as with an early stage investor. And that, again, that was intentional. The safe is sitting right alongside your other convertibles, your other safes, your other convertible notes, and converts just like those instruments. So there's really no difference between continuing to raise additional rounds of capital or deciding you want to basically bootstrap and reach profitability. The only difference for us is if you raise a new round of capital and all of your convertibles convert, then we convert into equity in your company and we're a shareholder. If you decide to bootstrap and kind of run your company profitably, that safe will basically sit at your company for 10 years uh, unless we negotiate something else. And at year 10, we have the option to convert that safe ourselves so that we don't mm. get stuck with this limbo agreement. Right. Um, usually that's just going to force the conversation to say like, look, you're running a profitable business, like basically just, you know, buy us out through cash flow or, you know, clean up, clean up the cap table since, right, right. since you really didn't raise a whole bunch of other capital. But it leaves the flexibility and the optionality open to the founder to grow how they want to grow versus forcing them on the, you know, VC 10x growth path. What happens if someone defaults on the we'll call it alternative loan. Mm -hmm. A default is going to look much different uh, for us than a a traditional loan. So traditional loan, typically there's interest and principal and you have to pay back on a set schedule no matter what. And if you miss one of those payments uh, a few times in a row, that's a default. Yeah. For us. And really bad things can happen to your life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bad credit, you know, debt collectors, all sorts of things. Yeah. For us, we're... we've designed it so that it's never unaffordable. So because there's that salary floor, typically you're not going to not be able to afford it. Mm. And so a default in our situation is, you know, you tell us to take a hike or you flee the country and you totally ignore our emails. Like that is a default. But what we've tried to do is say, okay, let's make it to where it's probably not going to be unaffordable because you're only making payments when you're earning money. Right. And then, yeah, if you just kind of decide you aren't going to make the payments, then, you know, we'll go down that path of, look, you breached the contract right. that you signed and, you know, we have legal recourse there. Right. But haven't had to do that yet. <laughs> and that's probably why you're so keen to being an integrity-driven person yourself and then probably only taking on people that you've really vetted their character and integrity. That's probably a core part of your business model, I imagine, because you don't want the people that don't respect the agreements. It is. It is. And we, in addition to looking at credit scores and income levels, debt-to-income ratios, to make sure that the people we invest in aren't already in financial like trouble, because yeah. that wouldn't be good for anybody. We also take references. So we look for character references. We also try, when we have our call, to get a sense of the grit, hustle, ambition, coachability, humbleness, um, you know, those features that make you both an integri- inte- integrity-driven person, yeah. but also a founder that's going to have a higher-than-average chance of success because you have that kind of grit and perseverance and all the traits that a lot of the research backs up as 
being indicative of uh, higher than average chance of success. How long is your discovery process? It can be as short as 48 hours. Oh, how do you determine someone's character in 48 hours? It's a mix of things and it's way more art than than science. And it's I also not perfect. I completely understand that. <laughs> it's also not perfect, right? Like as part of our process, we do have a call, yeah. a Zoom call. And yeah, there's people out there that can fake it. But part of my view is, look, if you can convince me and we give you money, like there's odds that you can tell a good story and convince other people that mm. you are building something very worthwhile and you can convince them to invest in you as well. Now, somewhere down the line, you know, we've only made 55 investments to date. Somewhere down the line when we're at 7,000, we're absolutely going to make some wrong investments and, and judge people's character wrong. But you can often get a sense of when they fill out the assessment or the application, when you're emailing with them, when you're on a call with them, asking them questions about their business, and then when you check their references, you can get a pretty good sense of somebody's mm -hmm. character. I'll clarify on the seed stage. Often it's pre-seed or even pre-pre-seed is what we've called it before. Mm -hmm. So there's really no founder that's that's too early for us. A really vulnerable question. When I was building my sports company, I ran it for a really long time. In end, it, I was not able to get it to the vision that I had for it. If I had this loan lingering over my head beyond the life, and I ran it for several years. And so for all... I guess startup purposes, I guess it was successful, but it was like it didn't last till now, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I still had this lingering loan from those days, it kind of would be this emotional baggage. I mean, I remember, Will, when I had to close my bank account for my company, I was crying. Mm -hmm. Like it was a very emotional experience. I closed the bank account, I think, two years after the company was no more because I couldn't even bear. Like, so that heaviness that comes with um, just needing to move on from a startup, especially hopefully most people care about the companies they're building, is so hard. I can't imagine what it would be like having this kind of alternative loan. Uh, what's that look like in working with you if people don't pass the raising another round stage and they're just in that like alternative loan stage? Is it okay mm -hmm. that I'm calling it alternative loan? Sure, yeah. Uh, is there a better term? What should I be calling it? Income share agreement. So if I still have this income share agreement with my company years out when I'm trying to move on, it would feel like just really emotionally taxing. Mm -hmm. But I know I have this this obligation to to your firm. So what does that look like? How do you move on? Or is it not possible to move on? And is that okay to ask? Yeah. No. It's like one of the elephants in the room is, okay, so I have to – you're giving me money, but I have to pay it back. So, you know – what does that look like and how does that work? The good news is that since I actually raised my first bit of capital on the instrument, I've gotten to go through the entire process as somebody who received that capital, as somebody who is paying on an income share agreement to my investors. And you know, for whatever reason, should my company shut down, I'll have to pay it back. My view is, for me personally, is that's fine. These people bet on me at a point mm. in time when I had very little investable business right, uh, right. that was available. Yeah. And they 
invested money in me with yeah. the belief that I was going to succeed somehow or some way. Right. And that was my pitch to them. Yeah. And they gave me that money. I am happy to make those payments back to them, especially because it's structured in this flexible, affordable way. Now, not everyone's going to have that uh, mentality. They're going to say, I'm shutting down my company. You know, now I have to pay this thing back. You know, I don't want to pay this thing back. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, that's where transparency for us is right. super key. Right. Because we have multiple steps in our process that says this income share agreement requires payback. You know, take take these little assessments, understand what this is. It is not equity only. So we do try and be very upfront and transparent about what it is. We have had seven entrepreneurs shut down their companies already. Uh, we made our first investment in 2020. So within the past three years, we've had seven shut down yeah. their company. One went on to start a new company. Um, and we actually came to an agreement with him that said, all right, we're going to take down some of this income share agreement. Right and convert it into equity in your new company because we mm. believe in your new company. And also, by the way, because we're invested in you, whatever it is that you're doing, we're going to try and support mm. because it's in our best interest for you to succeed no matter what you do. Yeah. There's been multiple people that have shut down their company, didn't work, and they just went back into the workforce. Yeah. And every single one of them so far has been making payments and- Kind of like a car payment. Has no issue with it. Like I said before, we're in a unique situation where if your company shuts down, yes, it's unfortunate that the equity goes to zero, but we understand that that's likely going to happen. Yeah. Where we sit is we want to know what you're doing next. How can we support you? How can we help you? How can we help you get a job? How can we help you start your next company? Because your career output is what we're betting on. And if we've done our job right, then whatever it is you do next or the third or fourth time you try something, you're going to succeed. And so, you know, yeah. we're on your team and we're backing you as the individual. And if I'm hearing you right, you don't take interest. It's just, it's the flat money and then equity. Equity is in lieu of interest. You're doing equity. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. There's no interest on the, the instrument. So it's, if someone gets 40,000, they get 40,000. That's just the cash that they're paying back the 40,000, but you have equity in the company. What? little bit different. So there's a the cap on the income share agreement. So $40,000, let's say you pay within five years, that repayment cap is one and a half X. So you would end up paying back 60,000. Okay. So you would pay back more in a majority of situations yeah. than we end up investing in you. And then we also have the equity that is that has the ability to be clawed back. And how, how does that work? Automatically when income share agreement payments are made. So if you pay down the income share agreement, you automatically claw back your uh, two-thirds of your equity. Okay. And it's kind of a sliding scale. So pay back a little bit of the income share agreement, claw back a little bit of the equity, and all the way up mm, until two-thirds. Interesting. And how much equity do you typically take? It's anywhere between 50 basis points to kind of 3 or 4%, depending on if you've already taken money in, if you're a napkin sketch, or if yeah. you have revenue. It just depends. What are the pros of doing it this way? Because I feel like there's probably like so much more. I mean, I already have one pro, which I'll share first, but I feel like there's so much more kind of anxiety. It's like, oh my gosh, I have this thing I have to pay back versus these other venture capitalists that I don't have to pay back. This is going to sound a little bit 
maybe funny, but I think doing it this way, people feel more of naturally ownership and accountability for the money that they're taking. And a lot of people make a lot of foolish company destroying decisions because they don't value the money from the investors that it actually wipes out the company. Mm -hmm. I think the responsibility of the money, this is like money I'm taking in. It needs to be spent in a smart way to build the company in an effective way. I can't be just you know, buying jets or whatever people do. Yeah. Um, I think that will make a difference in the success of a company. And you also sounds like your firm won't encourage inflated spending decisions that also destroys many funded companies. Totally. In a way, you are borrowing from your own future to fund your company today. Yeah. I there was one entrepreneur I was talking with and we were structuring it a little bit different where Chisos wasn't actually the one that was going to provide the capital. Yeah. We were using our kind of deal execution platform that's a subsidiary of Chisos that helps structure these deals between party A and party B. Right. And I was talking to them and said, look, if if the people that are going to invest in you believe in your upside enough and believe in what you're doing enough, then we may not even need to have the income share agreement in place. We can just kind of wipe that piece out they can invest in your current business. And then the way the contract structured, they could also get equity in your future businesses. Wait, say the next, this again. The the structure of the, the deal? Yeah, because I don't understand. Like, when is the income share agreement not applicable? So there's two pieces of our business right now. Yeah. So Chiso's Capital, we raise funds and we make investments okay. from the capital that we raise. Okay. In every one of those deals, the income share agreement is is in the contract. Okay. Now, what we did about it six months ago was we were seeing so many deals and our fund is a very limited size. So we're like, wow, there's so many people that want to do this deal and yeah. structure this this income share agreement, like basically yeah. invest in the person deal. How can we help them do the deals but not provide the capital to them? Mm. And we came up with something that looks kind of like an angel list deal execution platform. Mm where you come on, you build your own profile. We give you the legal docs and the structuring mm. to put together your own invest in yeah. your deal. And then you go out to people that you know to have them give you capital. So Chisos oh. is out of that loop in that scenario. Oh, you as the entrepreneur says, hey, rich person, I have this deal structure that may appeal to you. Yeah. Why would they do that if they could just raise angel money money in the traditional sense. Well, think about this. You you have a great idea, right? Yeah. And let's say you maybe don't have a great network, which <laughs> you are the total opposite of that. <laughs> let's say you don't have a great network. You go to some rich person and say, hey, I have this great idea for this consumer social app. Yeah. You know, invest $200,000 in this deal. Yeah. And they're going to look at you and you let's say you have no relationship and say, that's super risky. It's probably going to fail. I don't know you. So I'm not going to do that. Right. Let's say you go back to them and say, look, how about we do this invest in me deal? Yeah. I was a Goldman Sachs banker. I was making $200,000 a year. Right. And look, I, I put some money into the company, yeah. but now I need to raise some more money. Right. So how about you invest $200,000 in me and my company? Okay. So the income share agreement is there in that scenario. And that investor looks at the deal from a risk-reward perspective and mm. says, 
the company's risky, but this person isn't risky. And so I'm going to make that investment. Mm. So it really just changes the conversation on the risk of the investment. Yeah. So that that's why somebody would do it and, and why people do do it. Yeah. Now, back to my earlier point of you can go to that person and there's really three things that you can offer them in this structure. One is the income yeah. share agreement. Hey, I'm going to protect your downside. I'm going to pay you back. Yeah. Two is equity in my current thing, my current yeah. business that I'm really jazzed about. Yeah. Three is what if I offered you equity in my future thing? So my first company fails, my second yeah. company fails, my third company yeah. becomes worth a billion dollars. Yeah. And you, because you made that investment in me, have equity in my third company. Mm. That, again, changes the risk-reward mm. of that one singular investment. And so this, this guy I was talking to, I said, look, if your investors that you're going to go to believe in your success or your thing enough, you know, your specific company maybe isn't a fit for venture capital. Yeah. But if you have them invest in your current company and then any future company that you create in the next five years, why don't you just do that instead of also including the income share agreement, kind of the whole yeah. package? And what he said was, no, I kind of want to include that accountability of the income share agreement because it makes me feel better about going to those people, asking them to invest in me right. when I've put this this future income on the line yeah. in the form of this income share agreement. And that was really interesting to me to hear somebody think about it that way in terms of like, I'm showing that I actually have skin in this game instead of, hey, you know, write me this floozy VC check and I'm going to go, you know, throw massive parties <laughs> and, and waste the money. Literally, that's what people do. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. One more vulnerable question and then a few LA-specific questions. What's going really well for you right now? And then what's one thing that is really tough for you right now? Because just like us, you're a founder. Mm -hmm. This is your company. Um, and how big is your portfolio right now? Portfolio, we've put out about $2 million into 56 investments. We've got about half a million of dry powder that we'll put into another 10 to 15 investments over the next three to four months probably. So it's relatively small in the grand scheme of, of funds and, and um, investment companies. But we've got basically our next capital raise that I think will set us up in a kind of evergreen perpetual fashion, allow us to grow the company and allow us to hit that 7,000 investments in 10 years goal. That's all coming uh, you know, later this year. What's going really well right now is honestly the portfolio performance. So like I said, we've had a few founders kind of shut down, the, shut throw, the, throw away the key, shut down the company. Some have gone back into the workforce. They're making payments. Some are starting a new company and you know we'll see how those turn out. We also have a number of companies that have gone on to raise additional rounds of capital. One just raised a you know decent sized round of funding from a pretty well-known venture firm. And you know that's kind of our, our, our poster child so far. So the portfolio is performing really well. Uh, we've got way more deal flow than we can actually make investments into. And so the brand that we're building at Chisos and this idea of investing in a person and structuring things differently is really got some tailwinds to it. Uh, there's some other groups that have been talking about it, talking about investing in a person, talking about structuring things differently, you know, different than the traditional venture. So I feel really good about that momentum. 
Now, on the flip side of it, it is new, it is novel, and raising capital has been a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It has been such a slog to educate accredited investors on something new and different, a la the convertible income share agreement. And so that's really been our bottleneck is going around to different conferences, putting out different materials, educational materials, media materials, and really just trying to build that trust with investors that one, what we're doing is the future. It is going to happen no matter what. And two, we're going to be the ones to do it. And we're going to be good stewards of their capital. And that starts to get easier as we have a track record to point to. But yeah, in the beginning, it was really, really hard. Um, And it still is. It still is going to be hard. Our next fundraise is going to be hard. But it just slowly starts getting easier as you can actually point to performance. And now you could send them this podcast episode. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I Speaking of podcasting, like I get it. When I, st- I started podcasting in 2013 and a lot of brands didn't understand the value. They were like, well, show me your stats. I was like, well, no, Apple doesn't give us our stats. Well, then how do you know? You know, it's just like it's a new language. new. But I'm like, we literally have the highest converting audience base for advertisers. It's like, yeah, but we can't see X, Y, Z, you know? So yeah. when you're trying to describe a new medium to someone, uh, to company, it's always, there's always like a pushback. They want to work with what's safe, what they already know, even if what they already know isn't as effective as it could be. Mm-hmm. They just know how it works. Yeah. And especially investors. Investors, there are very few original thinking investors out there. Yeah. And I can say that with confidence because I've been in a number of investor seats. And so if you're not straight down the fairway venture capital, if you're not straight down the fairway, you know, long, short equity or credit, yeah, then some people's brains just break. Yeah. Some people can get there and they can have, a, have you explain it to them and then they can understand right. uh, kind of the benefit, but it, it takes a while. And then the people that we're raising from, private, kind of wealthy individuals, family offices, there's a deep, deep relationship and trust element as well, mm-hmm. where you go in and you talk with them once, odds that you're going to get a check, super low. If you cultivate that relationship with them over time, mm-hmm. see them multiple times, send them updates, be helpful to them, make mm-hmm. introductions to them where you can, then that relationship starts to form and you have a m- much higher chance of actually receiving investment from them. One last but very important question about this before I ask you LA questions is, is there any kind of pushback when they go on to raise another round, you know, raise their their A round or proper C round or something like, like is there any pushback that they have this like debt? Is it considered debt on their books that the investors may like pause or there may be more resistance in raising that round? I would say no. So the debt is not, the the income share agreement is not actually an obligation of the company. Okay. It's an obligation of the individual. Mm. And so when an investor looks at the company on the cap table, all they see is our safe. And I did have questions whether there would be pushback or not when we actually had a uh, equity financing, a priced round come in on top of us. And literally a month and a half ago, we went through the process, no issues. Mm. We got paid back. We got converted into equity and the bigger investor came in and the deal got done. And so so exciting. We can point to it and say, look, 
No, big, reputable investor made this investment and there was no issue. What was that like that day for you as a founder? I mean, it was awesome. Did you celebrate? (laughs) I hope so because we don't usually celebrate. I'm terrible at celebrating the wins. We all are. We're just like, next, next, next. Exactly. Um, But it was, it was really. It was really exciting. Uh, because that to be was able your hardcore that. proof of concept day, right? It was another piece of the puzzle of this thing works and I can prove it. I mean, I'm lighting up just thinking about that day for you. I could only imagine the hard work, resiliency, determination, confidence, conversations, hustle and grind, belief in self, like all that went in to that moment of like, okay, I, I – got in the approximately like 55 funded companies at that point is, is lower, I'm sure. And then and then one of them did go on to this round and, and there wasn't the resistance. And now it's just like that, that was the final piece you needed to be like, see, yep, on the right track. Let's go, 7,000. Yeah. 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 The next one will be when we hit an exit on the equity. Oh, duh. Yeah. That'll Sorry, be... I forgot about the exit. We all forget about the exit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just the raising the money. Oh, it's because it comes so yeah. far down the line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that'll be the next one. And or an IPO. An IPO, yeah. But even on the income share agreement, we've now had two people pay them off completely. Interesting. And so we and a third is is close to paying it off. So paying it off and the company's alive? Two paying it off and the company's alive, one paying it off and the company died. And how does that one person with the company died, what's the rapport with them? What's the relationship like? What are they doing with their life? Mm-hmm. They are back in a job, um, you know, six-figure job, and they're grinding away basically on their job now. Their yeah. focus switched from I'm going to try and start this cool app to I'm going to go back and be successful in my sales career. And our relationship is good. And, you know, he's come to me, he's like, so when he said, all right, I'm going to shut down my business, it's not working. Yeah. How can I pay this off as fast as possible? Yeah. And we actually came to an agreement that said, all right, look, if you pay it off in this shorter amount of time, then you actually pay back less. He's like, all right, cool. I'm going to do it. And so that's what he's done. Wow. And he, I, we literally have emails that say, look, you gave me a chance you gave me the money that I needed to actually pursue this business yeah. and reach the point where I told myself that I did everything I could to actually try and make it happen. Mm. And without your cash, I wouldn't have gotten to that point. I would have had to shut it down early. I would have thought there's more on the table that I didn't get to mm. pursue. And I would have regret, I would have maybe not regretted it because you wouldn't have had another option. Yeah. But you, Will, and Chiso, so the ones that allowed me to pursue that all the way through. And I have no regrets. I completely understand that. With the club, which you've been a member of for a while, I felt that. I've put in so much work on the back end to rebuild. I started the club, as you know, in 2015. I had a lot of elements of it that were extremely successful and really important elements that made it unsustainable for me as a human. (laughs) And so I've put in a lot of work to rebuild it on the back end. And over the past year, I've told myself, if I don't do this last jaunt to see that it works and that I am okay too in that process, I will always wonder if it could have worked. Like you have, you can't live life with not trying. You need to find out if you're, if it's going to fail or win. 
And then when you've exhausted all options, you could peacefully move on. But if you just like were too scared or whatever it was, yeah, I just feel like, like I would re- probably regret it till the rest of my life if I didn't explore to find out. Yeah. 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 So I get what he's saying. That he needed to exhaust all options to know, like, yep, it's time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And in the absence of us being there with this funding option, yeah, who knows what he would have done. But I've seen people go drain their savings, max out credit cards, take home equity loans, have parents take out home equity loans, and just plow it all in. And then it just evaporates. And then you're in a terrible position. Yeah. Yeah. Without the home equity loan on my parents side I did that mm-hmm. I just took out I had real estate so I love many people do. I took cash advances real estate advance I like it was an extremely stressful period of my life. I ha- like the mound of the I don't know, I got so lucky that I was able to raise money the the amount of like just sickening stress I had was insane that is the reality for more people way more people than not. And I think we get in this, and I'm guilty of this, I get in this bubble of like venture and angels and living here in California. And it's like, that's what you do. You go raise angel, you know, no strings attached money. That is 2% of founders in the United States. 2%. The rest are hustling. They're taking out credit cards. They're running side hustles. They're doing everything they can to make it work. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people that are just kind of in this like totally days of of you know venture world of the dreamy of, venture yeah, world. Yeah, I remember I was a, a waitress. I hated being a waitress, but I was a waitress for a long time. And I remember calling my mom, and I was like, I was like, oh, like I hate this. Like I just want to be an entrepreneur. She's like, she she says something. So she's like, don't you understand? You are. This is a part of your journey. Yeah. You are doing what you need to do. And and I was. I was using all the money that I made as a waitress to build my company at the time. I built a scuba diving uh, commerce shop. But, yeah, she said, this is part of your journey. Where With all the dirty dish, I was a dishwasher, Johnny Rockets. I was just like, I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I would just do whatever I needed to do to have the funds to redistribute so I could become a, a real entrepreneur one day. Yeah. Yeah. That and gave so, me goosebumps hearing you tell that story. <laughs> yeah? You were a dishwasher too? <laughs> I wasn't, but I, I see it happen all the time. Yeah. And it's like, that is... That is the reality of entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. not, oh, I went in and went to Sand Hill Road and got two million bucks. Yeah. And when that story is told over and over again, it just frustrates so many people because it's not reality. Sort it, of. F- sort of. Can I interject for a second? Absolutely. Okay. Very iconic story in the history of me being an entrepreneur. So after my dishwashing, after my waitressing and all graveyard, wait- it was I hated it. After all that, after getting cash advances, living such deep stress and uh, home equity loans, all this stuff, I remember, well, I was offered a personal assistant job for $70,000 a year. And my co-founder, who never quit uh, his job, by the way, he always kept his stable life, which Mm -hmm. is a whole other thing that led to issues with fundraising, et cetera, later. But I remember I was offered this job, and I was just like – and I was like deep in this debt. And it was all my debt. It wasn't shared debt with my Mm co-founder. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, if I took this job, like, I could breathe again. 
And I remember there was a conference called Ad Tech in New York. Do you know it? Ad Mm-mm. Tech. It was very exciting. And it was a time when there wasn't a lot of tech stuff. And I was like, F it. I didn't take the job. I took out more credit on my credit card, bought a plane <laughs> ticket to New York, went to Ad Tech, snuck into a skateboarding award show. And in the back room of the as, – as a journalist, like with my sports company, in the back room of the VIP room, I ended up meeting my investors. And so that happened. Uh, but at the same time, I decided like YOLO and I saw that um, – Google was fun was uh, that YouTube was acquired by Google and I read that these people called Sequoia Capital had invested in YouTube or Google or and I was like well F it if 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 YouTube could do it so can I mm-hmm. so I randomly just flew to San Francisco and walked into Sequoia I was like I'm here <laughs> and I ended up meeting with investors of Sequoia and they set up a meeting for me with 50 investors and I got and it was like crazy and the story goes on but like it was it, like anything is possible in this world yeah. but all of that me raising money the the vip room the sequoia introducing me to more people was after the cash advances the deep stress the waitressing for years like mm-hmm. it wasn't right away but it is possible to go to san Antonio road and just oh, totally. like meet investors do you think your grit, hustle, determination, and your willingness to put everything on the line helped you pitch those investors and have them believe in you? So I'm going to say something. This is what I was going to say earlier that I didn't say, but I am going to say it, and it's fine because it is part of my story. I've had multiple co-founders, so it's not possible to know who. I'm going to say that first. (laughs) One of my co-founders, my investors – didn't believe in the commitment of the person I was working with at the time. Mm -hmm. And they believed in my commitment. So uh, one of my investors invested in me in that with the convertible, the whole thing. And that's what gave me the bridge to to move forward Um, because we had a multimillion dollar deal on the table and because – different people on the team didn't think the commitment was the same from both founders, I ended up getting alternative funding to bridge for, yeah. So investors see that. It was really um, an interesting day. I've never shared it publicly. I might even end up cutting this, (laughs) but like I, it was a really interesting day because it was, I felt so thankful to be believed in simultaneously we had prepped for months for this multi-million dollar deal and so i was crying for hours in my car Mm -hmm. so it was at the exact simultaneously i was so sad over this loss and this preparation and this vision kind of being like not turning out the way i thought it would turn out and so grateful that people believed in me as a person And it was just a really confusing few hours. One of my mentors who was introduced to me by Sequoia Capital, like I called her and I was like crying with her. It was like, it was a really intense day, an important day. And honestly, well, I don't know if like we as founders need to risk it all. Like I don't promote cash advances. Like the kind of life I lived like, First of all, I was lucky that I could even – I started out with, like, something like the perfect credit score, and I destroyed my credit score. You know, yep. I 
I don't necessarily promote that. And I think there is room to work a job to have security and build your company slowly. I mean, Jason Fried did this. Jason Fried, one of my favorite entrepreneurs with Basecamp, 37 Signals. He had an agency. He decided to build software. He did not leave uh, he did not stop having an agency until the profit from his software company like surpassed the profit from his agency. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a very respectable world where you can, you know, build in a very um, digestible manner. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be this high risk thing. Yeah, I, and I agree yeah. with you. I think the, you know, burn everything down and you know put everything into your business. That's very risky yeah. and it can have real, real consequences. Real, real. There's certain things in my life that were really good that I didn't need. I had already bought a house, so I didn't need to buy a house. Like I didn't have that urge. If mm-hmm. I had wanted to buy a house, I had already had my apartment. So like I didn't need to get a credit check somewhere. There were things that provided my security that were already in place before I took those risks, that if I needed those things afterward, I would have had a hard time. Just certain, usually it's like, did I want a family right away? There's all these things that if I needed certain things, I would have been completely blocked or had an extremely hard time. And because I didn't need those certain things, I... um and I didn't know that. When I was going through everything, I was uh, super, like, heavy. Like, it was hard. Um, I didn't know how it would pan out. Yeah. Um, and I think I got lucky overall. But There's yeah. a ton of stories that I've heard, people that do risk it all, take out the loans, everything, and then they fail. Mm-hmm. And then they're in a bad position. But you don't, you don't hear those stories. No. You hear the stories, somebody risked it all, they – bet everything on red and then they won. Yeah. Great. They created a billion dollar company. Totally. But that's again, usually not the outcome. You know, the last thing that doesn't relate, but does relate to what we're talking about this week, there is a company, one of my favorite companies um, that failed. And I was so surprised. It was built by one of my favorite um, entrepreneurs. I'm not going to say who, because it failed. And um, when I, and I'm a customer of, or was, I don't know what I am because they had a really dramatic uh, failure. So the guy that I really respected, he left the company a while ago. So mm-hmm. he's not involved anymore. My like, the person why I had become a customer in the first place. But I really liked what he had built. So I had stayed a customer. Uh, this new executive team came in place. Apparently, this new executive team over the last two years made a series of terrible decisions, but no one knew. Like, none of the customers, none of the employees, like, no one knew. Mm-hmm. So very abruptly, they just, like, went out of business, and people had even become customers, like, a few weeks ago. And mm. so they just took people's money. Like, it's, like, wild. Like, the kind of um, shenanigans that go on in business. Um I guess I'm just saying this is because, like, everything's hard and nothing's perfect, and everyone has this mirage of, like, success and, like, what perfection looks like. And here's a company that I thought was super stable and successful, and just like that, it was, like, a a mirage. It wasn't true. And so we really, on the back end, need to 
make sure that like we're okay and that we're building with authentic authenticity and integrity. You know, there's like so many angry customers, rightfully so. Like, essentially, they've been robbed. It was crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And when the tide goes out on the the funding side of things, like it kind of has now. Uh, those things happen more and more. And I think about the the founder that I really admire who started that company. And even though he left a couple years ago, I think about like, man, even though he left, it probably still totally affects his reputation mm-hmm. because he's the one who started. It was his name, his credibility that built it up. And I'm just like, we have to be so careful about who we allow to acquire our company, what kind of like executives like replace it, like the whole thing. Yeah. Sorry. Kind of. I think I'm kind of going off, but I'm really passionate <laughs> about this stuff. Yeah. It, I agree. I mean, there's a lot to watch out for. Okay. Quick fire questions. Best LA tech company you've come across recently, or person who's really impressed you? Mm. I give you permission not to name any of your portfolio companies or to <laughs> name your portfolio companies. I just don't want you to have to choose a favorite. <laughs> yeah, I would say. What Rob Ryan's doing in LA is is impressive. Um, he is such an excellent community builder, and he's helped to make a number of connections for myself to really cool people. Uh, some have led to investment. He just seems to know everyone, and so I'm just really impressed by what he's doing. He really does know everyone, and he's he's I am Rob Ryan on Twitter. He's a must follow for for the LA Tech community. And what's an LA Tech resource that you recommend? I know you're part of the Experience Club. Thank you for a while now. For those of you who don't know, it's the We Are LA Tech Experience Club. We are LA Tech.club. Uh, what other resources or that whatever is authentic to you? Yeah, the Experience Club is amazing. I did the cohort last year, met tons of great new people and got to spend more time than just a, a conference, you know, shaking one hand, which was awesome. Um, this location, I mean, Bioscience LA throws a lot of cool events and a lot of events are held here. So I would consider this a great LA resource just as a, a venue. Yeah. I've been to so many great events here. Um, and thank you for the podcast studio, which all of you can access as well. Just go to biosciencela.org, reach out to the team. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it at those two. What L.A. restaurant do you recommend? Uh, L.A. restaurant. There is a restaurant in Santa Monica called Mercado. Mm. It's like authentic-ish Mexican food restaurant. Um, Great tacos, great mole. Uh, I just went there a couple weeks ago, so that one comes to mind. And it's just really good. I enjoy the food. And if someone landed in LAX today for the tech community, what would you suggest they do? Where should they go first? They should hop on Twitter, to be honest, Agree. and follow just as many people in LA as you can, which will lead to people posting events. Go to those events. Uh, follow the the newsletter writers that post LA events. Um, it's escaping me. But IRL like, LA, a Startup Digest LA. Um, yeah, there's a ton. Yeah, those are amazing. And they just post a whole bunch of cool things to do and then go do them and meet people and most people in LA, in LA are, are pretty welcoming, um, at least in kind of the tech community that I'm a part of. So, And what activity do you recommend everybody do? It could be anything, any kind of activity. I love the hiking. I, I love mean, the hiking. The hiking too. around LA We did is Los fantastic. Leones yesterday, <laughs> Pacific Palisades. Is there a hike that you think is super awesome here? I'm in the middle of hiking the Backbone Trail. Ooh. Um, it's a 65-mile trail that goes through the Santa Monica Mountains. It's 
the book I have cuts it into 20 sections that are manageable. I'm, you know, doing it on, on weekends. Can um, you send me this? I want to do this. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's a cool, lot of different sections, a lot of different terrain and really pretty trails. What? How did I, I'm from LA. How did I, <laughs> it's terrible. I completely want to do that. And your favorite software. That's just because I love software. <laughs> it, we're an Airtable shop. Um, we use Airtable for pretty much everything. Yeah. And then we just kind of no code automate stuff here and there. But Airtable is, is really the core we, that we use. A hundred percent. How can people connect with you? I am on Twitter and LinkedIn mostly. Both of them are WD Stringer and then Chisos Capital, Chisos LLC, pretty easy to find. We're not the boot company. There is a Chisos.com that sells boots. They're great boots. Uh, the founder's name is Will. He's out of Texas as well. Um, <laughs> Confusing. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're Chisos.io is our website. Thank you so much, Will, for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the LA Tech community, remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you all the things in the next episode. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hi, this is Will Stringer, founder of Chisos Capital. We provide capital to entrepreneurs, athletes, and creatives. We are based in Santa Monica, and you are listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.